0: Welcome to Getting Work to Work, a weekly podcast exploring the creative and curious world of work through monologues and occasional conversations with creative entrepreneurs, storytellers, and changemakers. It's always a treat for me to spend an hour with Goff from Nuts Productions. In today's interview, he shares all that went into his latest film, The Kidnapping, including the inspiration for the film, where he bought some of the film's props, how he approached the script, and the importance of rehearsal. He gives many valuable tips for creatives on developing a repeatable process and asks one of the best creative questions. Where can I take this next? We also talk about his podcast and how he develops connections with fascinating people from all walks of life. Show notes and links to all the good stuff mentioned in this episode can be found at gwtw.co 622. All right. Well, go off as always welcome back to getting work to work i love talking with you it's you're like the breath of fresh air through the zoom
1: well well some some may say the wind beneath your wings
0: yeah if i had wings you would be the wind
1: (laughs) (laughs) no it's always great chatting with you chris thank you so much as always for having me back on the show
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, I always appreciate when you come back because you've got something new to share and, uh, it's not that I'm cheap, but, uh, you know, you always send me the videos for free to watch and I really appreciate that. Um, but Hey, you know, I have a lot of respect for what you do and this time around is completely different and I love that. So, uh, why don't you share a little bit about what you've been up to?
1: Absolutely. So, yes, uh, Nuts Productions has a brand new film out called The Kidnapping. Uh, and it is, it's not a mockumentary this time, it's uh, like a scripted piece. I sort of described it to the actors when I, I hired them that they needed to think of it like a stage play. So uh, that that would help them in their preparation. But, yeah, so if you think of it a little bit in the lines of a stage play, I suppose... Uh, but it is a film, obviously, and it's a 22-minute film. It's a comedy, sort of my version of a romance film. <laughs> it's it's as good as I'm going to do for a romantic film. So, but it is uh, comedy based, as all my stuff is pretty dark. Probably, I would uh, I would assume you would probably maybe agree or disagree, but uh, sort of dark romantic comedy type of a mashup. And uh, as you can probably tell by the title, somebody is kidnapped and I'm the kidnapper. <laughs> and uh, we, we have to try and figure out how we're going to get her ransom. So so that's essentially the uh, the crux of it.
0: Yeah. What what made you think of doing something completely different?
1: Well, there's a few things. Firstly, uh, I do like to keep my work as different as I can. So even when I do the mockumentaries, as you've seen, mm-hmm. I always like to do a different kind of style, whether it be a voiceover or sketches, or whatever it might be, or, or even like not everything I've done is mockumentary. I mean, there was book club, which was like a sketch comedy sort of a situation. So I do like to mix it up and make it different. Uh, so there was that, but also <laughs> it appears I'm doing requests now, Chris, this is absolutely for real. So <laughs> there's uh, so there's a, a Donna, who people, I don't know, for those people who may have followed me right from the very, very, very beginning, with my documentary, I Will Not Go Quietly, uh, there was a psychologist that I interviewed called Donna Hughes, who is now Donna Cameron, because she since got married, and uh, we became friends, I didn't know her before then, it was just a simple Google search, uh, and uh, I found her and asked if she wanted to interview for the doco, and she said yes, and I interviewed her, and then we were having a chat afterwards, and we found out that... You know, we had a common interest in in liking football and whatnot and uh, she was a nice person and she came to the premiere and she supported my work from that moment on and uh, to the point where when I needed office space, I ended up renting an office from Donna and then uh, I used her house a lot in uh, a lot <laughs> of the earlier films. I've actually used her house as a filming location and then she moved to Melbourne so I had to uh, find a new, new house location, a new office <laughs> location and all that sort of stuff. But the point of this very long-winded answer is that she said to me she keeps saying to me after she watches my films she says "Goff they're very funny and you know they're, they're very you but when are you <laughs> going to do a nice romance I'd really like to see a romance film." And I said I'm not too sure that I've got one of them in me Donna but I can try my best for you. So and then I wrote so I that was one bit and then also the other comedy by request that I've done was Kale Campers, who's an actor who's been in a lot of my films and he's actually in this film as well. Uh, he said to me about a year ago, he said, you know what, Goff? I'd love to see you play a villain. I think no. you'd be a good villain. And I said, okay. So I combined a romance and a villain and I came out with this. this and that's for real. <laughs> that, that's for true. So, yeah, I obviously wanted to do something a bit different, a bit scripted. Then I had Kale go, you should be a villain. So I said, Okay. And I had Donna p- hounding me about doing romance. And so I said, okay. And I mashed it all together and we got the kidnapping.
0: Yeah, that seems like a natural extension between the combination of villain- villainy and rom- rom-com. <laughs>
1: Perfect. Yeah, well, I, just, I just find it funny that I'm now doing film by request. So, you know, if any requests, Chris, just uh, send them over and I'll do what I can for you.
0: That's right. By extension, the getting work to work audience can pitch their request to you as well.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. But I no, look, it, it was, uh, it was good because I mean, it makes my brain because again, you know, when Donna's like, because she was at me, like, she she genuinely finds my stuff funny, but I mean, she's a, a woman. <laughs> uh, so, you know, it's not, I'm not really, I mean, you know, fart jokes and that sort of stuff isn't 100% her cup of tea. She thinks it's funny, but she doesn't roll on the floor with laughter like other people may. So, uh, you know, she she was like, you know, come on, bit of romance. She loves the – she's a psychologist by trade, obviously, with the as people would have seen in the documentary. And so she loves watching those reality shows like The Bachelor and Love Island and all those shows because (laughs) she finds it – uh interesting, uh, as a psychologist, to watch their ridiculous, horrible behavior. She mm-hmm. finds it both funny and she finds it interesting to see how they all interact and behave with each other. So she loves The Bachelor. Actually, for her birthday uh, a couple of years ago, I bought her a coffee mug that just had in big letters, Journey, written on it with the, with a rose. For, you know, <laughs> The Bachelor, because they're always on a journey. Ooh, so I
0: love Journey. The-
1: so so yeah. So I thought that was pretty funny, but yeah, no, when she said do a romance and I did genuinely think to myself, well, you know what? That might be something a bit uh, challenging u- and unique to write something like that. I've never written a romance. So this is uh, and that's what my brain came up with was the kidnapping. And that's genuine. Like that's, that's this is my version of a romance. This is as good as it's going to get <laughs> in the world of Goffin romance. So, yeah, so uh, there's a little bit of romance in there, I think. It's yeah. it's a general romance vibe, so, you know.
0: Well, and and what I appreciate about that too is is you have generally in the past said that you have like a ideas that weren't quite ready in the past and you'll go back to them and bring them forward. Is this something that you just sat down and started typing from, you know, blank page.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. So I was, I did want to do, I, I did have in the back of my mind that I wanted to do cause I'd done a lot of where I played the uh, obnoxious presenter person and done the, uh, the, a few mockumentaries like the past couple had been that way with the wedding one and the education system and that. So I thought it would be good cause I have done scripted stuff before. Like some of the early, early stuff was, was pure, scripted sort of movie situation stuff. So I thought it would be, uh, I thought maybe maybe I should do more of a storyline, I shouldn't say scripted, more storyline-based sort of a situation. So I thought this time I definitely want to do a storyline sort of a script. So I didn't have anything. So as you said, I sat down with a blank sheet of paper and uh, was like, right, I, I want to write a story situation And then I thought, well, Donna wants a romance, so that'll be the genre that I'll go for. I'll go for writing a romance, and Kale thinks I should be a villain. So, uh, (laughs) okay, so I'll be a villain in a romance, and it'll be scripted, and then uh, that's what came out. So, yes.
0: Wow. So, just to get us into your brain a little bit, so that when Donna listens to this interview, she can add it to her poll file of, like, you know, psychoanalyzing you, you know do you just start writing keywords down or do you just like scene 1 act 1 and you're you're literally writing it out that way
1: yeah so again the the first thing that the first way you described it is technically how you should do it you should write down and i understand that you should write down cuz i i was very lucky when i was a young fella there was a very famous australian writer tv and movie script writer who i knew uh, through contacts and uh, he actually sat down with me and gave, read some of my stuff from when I was, you, you know, when I, I was, how old would I have been? About 20, 21, 22. And so, yeah, he would sit down and read some of my scripts that I'd written and he'd give me advice and he'd absolutely rip them apart. And, I mean, he was brutal, but in, like, the best way possible. I'm not a big sook, I can take it. So and that was the point. So, yeah, he, he tore them apart and then uh, – you know, And then he would give me other examples of other writing and how that's done and why it's good and all that sort of stuff. And so you know, obviously one of the things he taught me was the proper way of writing a script, which is obviously you write down your key plot points and you have your whole thing sorted out and then you go and you flesh it out. But uh, to answer your question, no, I did none of that. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I, I had my three points in my head of I want it to be – a uh, a storyline piece so it needed to have a proper narrative storyline uh I wanted it to be a romance of some description I wanted to play a villain and then the first thing that came into my head was cuz again you know I'm not got a million dollars to play with so I do have those restrictions in my head as well uh and I thought well what can suit all of this and for some weird reason a kidnapping uh, came into my brain. So then okay, now I've got the kidnapping idea. So now I'll just write down the dialogue of what I think that how that would go. And so that's what I did. So I just yeah, just let it flow.
0: That's awesome. And what I love about that too golf is there there does feel like a natural progression in it. It's almost like you've internalized you know, 20 minutes and how, where all the beats should be because it felt like a really well paced flow.
1: Oh, well, th- thank you very much. That's good. That's uh, yeah, no, I appreciate that. That's um yeah. Well, that's, I guess when I'm writing it. So once I figured the first act was kind of done, then, you know, i put a full stop Am like, okay, then where can I take this? And then we have the second and the third act. And mm-hmm. so, so yeah, so um yeah, that, Was it? It it just. I guess it's one of those things. It's once I feel that it's. It's the same with every. every, All the other films that I mean, we've we've chatted about the length of my films in the past, and Mm -hmm. it's always the same answer. And it's the same with this as well. When I feel that it's been like every, every inch has been squeezed out of it, there's nothing more to give. Then we shall move on to the next bit. So, and that's how this was as well. So that's yeah. That's just more my a judgment call on me than anything else. So yeah.
0: Nice. So as as far as playing a villain, how much of that was acting and how much of that was just you?
1: Well, actually, Donna has seen uh, this film uh, and uh, I got her review and uh, she just said to me, Goth, I think that's how you would act in real life if you were to kidnap somebody. <laughs> it's it's like not, not far away from just you, because yeah. uh, let's be honest. My acting range, I don't think, is particularly fantastic. I'm no DiCaprio, so, you know, I sort of keep, uh, like I've done the obnoxious presenter, which is probably reasonably close to my personality type, and I guess this, because I, I that's one of the advantages of writing something you're going to be in. Mm-hmm. You kind of know, I knew what character I was going to play, so I can sort of write it in my voice, which makes it easier for me to act it, because I'm saying words that I would generally usually say, so I'm not having to... uh stretch myself too much so <laughs> hopefully uh hopefully my acting chops were okay chris and uh, it came off uh, somewhat uh, believable as me as a villain
0: they they were okay and they you did come across as believable and it's it's funny too because like it's almost like your villainry starts at the top and then th- you know as the romance increases your villainy almost goes down
1: yeah well well i said to courtney so when courtney got the role uh, I said to her, "Look, so for the first page and a half, uh, I'm doing all the heavy lifting, and then for all the rest of the thing, you do the heavy lifting, and that's how that's how it's written. I mean, that's not me being funny. That's just how the script is written. Yeah, for the first, and you quite to to validate your point. It's it's absolutely correct. For the first, yeah, page and a half or whatever, I'm driving it. I'm driving the bus, and then once her character realizes a few things." <laughs> Uh, she is doing, like, acting-wise, she's doing all the heavy lifting, and in the film-wise, she's driving the bus from that moment forward. So, yeah, so th- that's, uh yeah, so sh- she did a wonderful job with it. Well, in my opinion, I thought she was amazing, but, um, yes, she had a lot of uh heavy lifting to do, acting-wise, and, yeah, she really drove it after <laughs> I sort of dropped the ball a little bit.
0: <laughs> well, and I appreciate it, too, because I know that courtney and kale you've you've had them in many of your films there's this a, a real awesome chemistry between the three of you that i think makes this movie even better because of that chemistry
1: yeah no i, I agree it was uh it was really important obviously that uh there was a lot more rehearsal for this one than usual for that exact reason mm-hmm. um because it it has to i mean when it's just going to be a situation where movement is restricted because you have someone tied to a chair because they've been kidnapped. <laughs> and so their movement's restricted. And so it's all about the verbal because obviously locations are restricted because you're in the same you know basement where people have been kidnapped. So everything is restricted. It means that your dialogue has to be absolutely spot on, not just with the writing it, but the delivering it, the pace, the timing, the tones, the inflections, they all have to be bang on because if they're not, you've got nowhere to hide. So you have to absolutely smash it.
0: Yeah. Well, and and that actually, I have to say, probably gave Scott some room to work with too, in terms of the camera angles, because I could see a few different angles where he was definitely in the artistic mood of, of getting the shots and making them interesting as well.
1: Well, uh, to be honest, um, so I actually do that myself? No, nice. so that's my job. I just tell him where to stick them. So, yes, yeah, so that that's, Good job, uh, bro. that thank, <laughs> thank you. I I was actually really chuffed with uh, yeah, really pleased with some of the uh, because I I was like uh, when I'm sure you've seen it, when Breaking Bad was out and about many years ago now, uh, I was obsessed with that show and I was obsessed with how it was shot. And if you actually do your research, you'll find that it, they had the same cinematographer from season 3 right to the end. They never changed which is very unusual for a show of that nature because usually every episode has a different cinematographer. You know, they might get him back, you know, one episode in season one and then two in season two and then one in season three. But very rarely will you see a cinematographer do every single minute of the show. And the way he shot it was really fantastic. You know, the angles were super cool. It wasn't stock standard kind of stuff. And I dug it a lot. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, I... Uh, I always try to wherever possible. It's not always possible, but wherever possible, I always like to have uh, a more creative kind of shots, and that's what I did with this. I, I made sure, like we we had three cameras to play with. Um, we got a few other angles as well, but essentially, it's three camera angles. And so, yeah. So I said to Scott, "This is what I would like," and he just made it uh, made it happen. So you know, he does get the credit in uh, being able to make it work because. The room isn't as big as what you may think it was. Uh, it wasn't a big space at all uh, So, because it was actually filmed. Uh, so Scott's uh, studio that he's got, there's like a little because it was originally like an empty warehouse and he's built his studio within that warehouse. And so there's a little garage kind of area at the front where he just keeps like busted amplifiers and broken equipment <laughs> and stuff that he should really throw out, uh, but he doesn't. Um, so it was full of that. And I said, can you empty that? And we'll, uh, I said, I I said to him, you know what, Scott, it'll give you a great, what, you know, chance to do some spring cleaning and get rid of all those old (laughs) amplifiers and, you know, empty guitar cases, but he didn't do that. He just moved them to a different room. So, (laughs) and I'm assuming when I go back to his studio, they'll all be back anyway. So we emptied out that little garage area. And, uh, we use that to, to film in, So it's actually filmed at Scott's studio, which made it easy for him. Cause he didn't have to lug his equipment everywhere. But yeah, so we had the three cameras and yeah, I sort of told him how, and where I wanted them uh, all shot. And so, yeah, so that's, uh, that's all me. So I'm very controlling.
0: Nice. I, I, and I hear a, a new idea for a movie in the future, recording studio hoarders.
1: i have a feeling i mean i don't know a lot of musician guys but i know enough to know that i think it would be a very common thing they're not good at uh, getting rid of old guitars and uh, old equipment and stuff like that mixing desks that are like burnt out and fried they're they're not uh, i think it's a general thing with the with production guys and recording guys Mm -hmm. and musicians to To keep uh, all their old crap and not get rid of it.
0: That's right, and and you're idolizing the past, basically.
1: (laughs) And also, oh, I can fix that. I'll just, you know, rewire that. No worries (laughs) at all. I'll do that when I'm, you know, free one day. But of course, everybody's busy, and we never get free, and we never. And even if we do, we're like, why? Why would I want to do that now when I can, you know, watch the football and drink beer? (laughs) So you know, so the yeah.
0: That was a lovely tangent as always <laughs> what I do. That's right. So when, when you're working on the kidnapping, you've got a lot of rehearsal, you've got a lot of, uh, you know, you've got limited space, a lot of rehearsal, you know, is it a normal production at that point where, you know, once it's dialed in, you're, you're locked and loaded and it, and it just, pops out another beer nuts baby or is it, yeah. you
1: know? Yeah. So, so uh, this will probably again, blow your mind. Cause I do things very differently. So we filmed it on a Monday. So the whole filming of that was between 9am and 1pm. So that was filmed in four hours. Uh, and then obviously Scott had the afternoon to load the footage and to fix uh, any sound and coloring. And then I went in there on the Tuesday and we edited it. So I, Again, I, I'm very controlling, so I tell him, you know, we're cutting from camera one to camera two. Uh, we'll get this cutaway. We'll put it in there and we'll do this and we'll do that. And then by the end of the Tuesday, we have a film. So, uh, yeah, so it was only two days this time. So um, uh, it's usually about a week, as you know. So, uh, yeah, but um, all good. So, yeah, we busted out in in two days flat. So it's still the same sort of process. It's just because it was uh, only the one kind of location sort of situation. Yeah. Uh, it meant that we could do it a lot. And obviously, because everybody is very rehearsed, and I go in and have a production meeting with Scott ahead of time so he knows what shots I want, so I'm not having to describe to him on the day what's going to happen. Yeah, it was, uh, it's pr- it was a pretty straightforward one to do, which was yeah. nice.
0: Do you think what you learned in this shoot you'll be able to take into the next shoot and if you do another mockumentary, make bring some of this process into that mockumentary or is that just a separate beast?
1: Well, what did I learn, though? That's
0: the question. (laughs) You learned a lot about (laughs) whales and dolphins.
1: Well, apparently... Apparently I did. Apparently I did. That's one of the my most favourite things in the whole wide world is that transition. For I don't want to spoil what happens, obviously, but um, from scene four to scene five, that transition is one of the best, most favourite things I've ever done in all my life because it just tickles me beyond imagination. I just love it so much. But uh, it's nice when something like that was the idea in my head, and it's nice that when the idea actually comes off. As well as it does, is always very satisfying. So I was very, very happy with the, the transition between scene four and scene five. But um, uh, look, look, there it, it wasn't. I was. I'm not being a smart ass. I honestly, there wasn't anything to learn because this was the same process. I mean, I wrote it just like I write my other films, and I uh, I cast it just the same as I cast it. I I shot it. I mean, I always tell Scott how I want things to be shot. I always, you know, rehearse the actors. There wasn't anything different about this one. It was just a different storyline. It was just the fact that we did a a storyline kind of piece instead of a, a more mockumentary kind of a piece. So that there wasn't really anything overly different in the making of it at all, to be honest.
0: Yeah. And what I like about that too, Goff, is like sometimes changing process, sometimes doing all these things to try to find a new hook. I think sometimes creative people do go that route, as opposed to just, here are your constraints, work with what you have, and and knock it out, and just move on. And I I think there's something magical in how you're describing your process and what you do. It's just like, look, I know I know where I fit. I know what I want to do. I'm going to do it, and do it, and do it, and do it.
1: Yeah, well, well it, it's true. I mean, look, I, I found a formula that works for me, so it would be silly. To change it, I mean, uh, it's yes, it's different in the way the, the the context of the piece is different to the last one, but uh, the process of making it can still be the same. I mean, you know, and the next one that I'll do after this will be different again, but the process of making it will be the same because I found a process that works. That's not to say that if something happens that. I can't uh, be adaptable and change, and uh, if I find a different and better way of doing things, then I'll adapt it. But uh, at the moment, i found a process that works for me, so it would be foolish. It's like, I mean, again, like uh, Courtney and Kale have worked for me many times as actors, and they've always done a stellar job. So, I mean, there was a thought in my mind that it might be nice to get other fresh faces in, but then – you don't know what you're getting into, do you? The, you know, they might be hard work, they might be awkward, they might not, you know, they might not they might freeze in front of the camera. You don't know. So yeah. why why would you do that? Why stick with the uh the gun people that you already know? It seems uh, foolish to
0: change. Speaking of sticking with things that you know, uh, where did the ball gag come from?
1: Well, I thought I'd get that from my own personal collection. And uh, you know. <laughs> We did uh, clean it. Obviously, i um, workplace health and safety. I'm up with all the regulations, so it was all uh, it was all fine. Uh, actually, to be to be honest, this is quite humorous. So I've not had a lot of experience with that particular implement before. So I was uh, I went on to a few sex store websites because I'm like well, obviously that's where you would buy one. Mm-hmm. So uh, and uh, ironically, they weren't doing postage for some reason. They weren't. You have to actually go in store. They were old-fashioned sort of sex stores and you had to go in. I'm like, well, I'm not doing that. So I went on to Amazon of all places (laughs) because you can buy anything on Amazon, it would seem. So I went on there and uh, I bought two different ones because, again, I don't have experience in this sort of thing. So I was like, I'll buy two different kinds of ones and then we'll see which one will work best in rehearsal. So uh, I said to Courtney, you're going to, I said, listen, Courtney, I don't know what your personal life is like. It's none of my business, but you need to be an expert at putting this on kale nice and quickly. So we'll try both of them and we'll see which one you're able to do quicker and better. So she, she tried out both and she said, we'll go (laughs) with this one. And I said, that's the one we'll do then. So, you know, it's uh, on the very, uh, you know, I've got a, I, I think about things way too much, I think, but it works again. It works for me. So, you know,
0: <laughs> the only thing I'm thinking about right now is one day you're going to have a beer nuts museum and like with all of the props from your films. So it's like, you'll have like a ball gag, you know, that penis mock, uh, you know, cast, you know, all that.
1: We'll have uh, what was it, uh, uh, from Christian Victoria. Remember that film? with <laughs> uh, the, uh, the sculpture, which I've still yes. got in my spare room. He's got takes prior of place. Was it a uh, uh, five armed Dickless Barry or as uh, Ilya liked to call him, Pentacoccal man. But, um <laughs> but yes, yeah, so, uh. so, 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 <laughs> but yes, I do keep, cause I'm, I'm a, a sucker for memorabilia, like general, mm-hmm. like sports memorabilia, music memorabilia. Like if I go to a concert, I'll take the old album covers and get the, if I can get them to be signed, I will. Like I'm a nerd in that kind of way. I love all that sort of stuff. So I have absolutely. I've kept all of the, uh, all of the any props that I'm able to keep. I absolutely keep them. So I've got a room where all of that stuff is at. And uh, yeah, and, nice. uh, one one day we'll have a beer beer nuts museum. And uh, we'll have. Being as I've been interviewed, you by you so many times, Chris. We'll have to have like a signed pair of headphones from Chris Martin Studios.
0: There you go. I'll send you a poster. (laughs) Poster. (laughs) You cheap bastard. A poster.
1: I I want want headphones. I want something tangible. Poster.
0: You want the the sweaty headphones off my head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want
1: realism. (laughs)
0: I'll send you the old pop filter off the old microphone that has like all the specks of spit on there
1: nice yeah oh, I like it
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh I always love talking with you golf so oh, I wish I could
1: say wish, wish I could say the same but you oh, know. I
0: know I know
1: <laughs> I'm yeah. only teasing you're a good yeah. man
0: Chris <laughs> I try. Well, one of the things that I also appreciate about you, apart from the kidnapping, you still got the Beer Nuts Productions podcast going on, and uh, you're interviewing some really fascinating people right now.
1: I am. I am. We got uh, uh, this week's episode, actually. uh, I know you listened to a previous episode, but this week I actually have an artist called Melissa Bates, who she does uh, portraits, but not with canvas and with paint. What she does is she gets two sheets of cardboard, one black, one white, one on top of the other one, and she gets a scalpel and she'll actually cut into the top piece of cardboard to do your portrait. Oh, wow. And it's like, uh, as far as I can tell, nobody else in the world does that sort of thing. She was a like a stencil sign writer person for like 20 years. Mm-hmm. And then when she was made redundant because a machine came in and did all the cutting work, uh, she was like, well, what can I do? And she decided, well, how about I do these sorts of portraits for people? And she set up a stall at the markets and she's been really successful. And it's she did mine. And so what I'm going to do is on my Instagram, once the episode drops, uh, I'm going to put, because she did my portrait. So we got a time-lapse uh, mm-hmm. of her doing it because it's a really unique kind of thing to watch her do it. So I'll be posting that on socials and uh, as well as with the finished Uh, portrait but yeah she was because she's highly eccentric uh, as a lot of artists tend to be Uh, (laughs) she also does like life drawing classes and all that sort of stuff as well so uh, her episode is dropping so I mean uh, yeah so she's uh, quite a unique character that uh, but I've always liked to have a range of people on the podcast so some interviews are more serious than others I mean I've had uh, I've actually had politicians I've had Olympic gold medalists I've had other actors and singers and songwriters and artists and then i've had uh well uh, recently i had a lecturer from a the uh, marketing lecturer from a university which was quite interesting i was hoping to get some tips on marketing because it's not <laughs> something i'm very skillful on so that was uh but uh yeah so i try to have all different kind of guests but obviously you listened to one as well recently as well
0: yeah and before we get to that one of the things that's fascinating is like how do you come up with your guest list are are you literally just like researching people constantly or do you have like a rolodex of of these people already
1: no 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 it's well it's a little bit of both so uh i would say so we've done 80 is it 80 episodes i think it's 80 episodes something like wow. that so it's yeah so i think it'll be it's either 80 or 81 so anyway uh Yeah, so out of all of those, let's say 80 because the mass is easier, out of the 80 people that I've interviewed, I reckon, yeah, 40 of them I know. So I reckon half of them I actually know personally and the other half of people that I've thought, oh, that would be an interesting person. So I do no research at all. It's just more, oh, that would be an interesting person to chat to. So uh, I contact them and uh, sometimes they reply, sometimes they don't, and uh, (laughs) sometimes they say yes and sometimes they don't. But yeah, it's been interesting to see the ones who I don't know who I've contacted, who said yes and who hasn't. It's uh, That's been an interesting process because there's been somewhere I thought, oh, there is no chance this person is <laughs> going to agree to be on my podcast. And they've been like super lovely and, yeah, no worries, you know, whatever yeah. you want. And then on the flip side, other people where you're like, oh, this person will come on because they seem really cool or they'll want the publicity because they've got this to promote or whatever it might be. And they're like, com- they completely cold shoulder you. They don't even mm. respond. And you're like, wow, that was uh, mind blowing. So yeah. you can never pick it, man. You can never, ever pick it.
0: At what point does a sex worker enter your mind? I just thought it would be
1: a really interesting subject to chat about, to be honest. Mm. So it was, when I was first came up with the podcast, I had a list of industries that I wanted to chat about uh, in regards to like, uh, marketing, for example, I was like, I really want to get somebody in the field of marketing because I think that would be really interesting. And a sex worker was the same. So I thought to myself on the list of occupations, I wanted to have guests to talk about sex worker was right up the top because I think it's a a really fascinating and interesting and misunderstood Mm -hmm. industry. So I thought if I could find a sex worker that would be willing to chat, then uh, that would be fantastic because obviously... That's not an easy thing either, because of the negative stigma that goes with sex work. Uh, a lot of them obviously don't want to bring any sort of publicity to themselves, which right. is—I I personally think—that's unfortunate, because uh, it would help tremendously in debunking some of the uh, some of the uh, negative stigmas and negative stereotypes and negative thoughts that people might have around those people and the industry itself. So, yeah. yeah.
0: So how did you how did you approach your subject in terms of, you know, obviously privacy is very important and, you know, a ne- you know negative stigmas and all this. How do you get someone to be on your podcast when that is an issue?
1: Oh, just with my general charm.
0: That's right. That's right. <laughs> hey, you want to go look at whales? <laughs> now we know you're no,
1: I- mine. No, no no, one gets that reference, Chris, because you've watched the film. People need to watch the kidnapping and then they'll laugh hysterically at Chris's joke. So that's, that's right but, um, but no, so what I did was with the sex worker, I contacted, she actually mentions the, uh, the uh, union body in one of her answers, but there is uh, like a sex workers union. So I contacted them and said, would you be able to put the word out to see if there would be any sex workers interested in coming on my podcast and I also wanted to do it that way as well, to make sure that I had a career sex worker, not someone that's just been doing it for, you know, five minutes, that someone who has had long-term experience in the industry. So they understood it inside out, so to speak. So um, they put the word out and uh, they put me in contact with a, a, a lady who was happy to do it. She She didn't want to come into the studio, which I thought was unfortunate. But again, I wasn't going to be a jerk about it because I understand her reasons. So uh, I said, okay, so can we do a written interview? And she was totally sweet with that. So we did a written interview and then it got a really great reaction. So I did uh, a second written interview with her. I asked her if we could do a follow-up and she said, absolutely. Uh, And I think, again, because I think she had her reservations about me, which I can understand because she's like, what's in it for you? What do you want? You know, and I can understand her thinking that way. Mm-hmm. So I think once the first one was released and she could see that, you know, I, I treated the subject matter with a lot of respect, mm-hmm. uh, she she was very open to doing a, a follow-up. And then when I said to her again, listen, it would be better if I could do an audio version of it so that people who don't go to the Nuts website to listen to the podcast – people on your Spotify's and your Apple's and all those sorts of things so that they can listen to your answers and and listen to your content. Would you be cool if I got one of the actresses to voice your answers? And again, I think because I had treated Mm -hmm. the subject matter with a great deal of respect, she was absolutely, that won't be a problem. I said, look, I'll choose someone I know I can trust and will be very good with the answers, which I did. I got Courtney, who actually was the star in The Kidnapping. I asked Courtney if she would read hannah's answers and she said she would and so yeah so we we did a the audio version of the interview as well
0: yeah what surprised you most when you were conducting both of those interviews
1: uh that's a really good question um i think uh look i i wanted to ask questions that she probably doesn't get asked because everyone's got the same stupid questions. And, of course, I did incorporate one of two of the obvious questions that people would want to know, so I did incorporate some of the obvious ones. But I thought it would be, I, I'm, I have more of an interest in, you know, like um, uh, I know for a fact, because obviously having a disability myself and knowing disability community, I know that a lot of people with disabilities hire sex workers because obviously they can't have, well, they can't have relationships by choice. It's just that, you know, people, I'm not wording this at all well, but people, uh, able bodied folks, aren't that keen to have relationships with people who have disabilities. So the people with disabilities then have to go and see a sex worker to have their needs met. Uh, so uh, I knew as well from our conversation before the interview that she did have a few clients with disabilities. So I thought that would be an interesting thing to chat about. um, uh, but that's not answering your question at all. You asked me what surprised me. Uh, what did surprise me? Um, uh, not, uh, not, not a great deal, to be honest, because it was kind of what. It's not. Uh, I, I guess I'm sort of. <laughs> I'm. I've run in. I've had a very unique life, Chris. <laughs> yes, you have. Where I have run in many a circle and have, have have had interactions and dealings with a wide variety of human beings in a wide variety. So uh, not, not a lot surprises me. so I kinda it's not that I, I could guess what her answers would be because she actually I was really happy with how uh, articulate she was with her answers. She really articulated things really, really well. Uh, which I was really happy about because that was kind of what I wanted. I wanted her to, I mean, she, she seems to be from my interactions with her. She's a very intelligent uh, woman mm-hmm. who is doing this for all the right reasons and uh, has a full understanding of what she's doing and why she's doing it and all that sort of stuff. Uh, she has very clear boundaries, very clear goals. So uh, again, this is from my understanding of my dealings with her and, mm-hmm. um, but there there wasn't a lot that actually surprised surprised me. What about you, Chris? Was there anything that surprised you?
0: I thought that a lot of it was surprising. I you know, I don't know what what the legality of it was in Australia since I'm in the states and pretty much everything's illegal up here, except in the one place. Um, and you know, oh. We'll judge you no matter what, anyway. Um, so, but I I was surprised with when she was talking about just like the college degree that she was working on in criminology, and and that to me was like, oh wow, that's that's really interesting. And um, I don't know why that was interesting. I think probably because of the the fact that it's illegal up here in the states.
1: Well, I remember uh, my sister is a hairdresser by trade, and so uh, she works uh, in a very – well, she did, I should say, not anymore because she lives in London now, but she she used to work in sort of the hot spot right in the middle of where there there is a lot of strip clubs uh, on the Gold Coast. So uh, a lot of her clients, because her speciality was doing hair colours and ladies' hair extensions and things like that, so a lot of her clients were like strippers and sex workers because they could easily, because they got a lot of disposable income, they could just throw the cash down on the counter and say, give me a full head of hair extensions. So uh, so uh, I, uh, I've i had a few conversations with, with some folks uh, over the years and uh, uh, that's not unusual. I mean, there, there was a lot, uh, it's quite funny because uh, a lot of the strippers and sex workers, they roll around in like, mercedes that have been paid off they're not on lease or a loan anymore because they've got the cash they own multiple houses have investment properties you know they uh th- there was one i remember who was doing a law degree and you know this was funding her law degree much like hannah's uh, work uh funds her criminology degree she won't have because in australia to go to university is very expensive so you won't she won't have the sort of debts that you or i would have if we went to university because. They're all paid off now. Again, some people might argue that that's the wrong way to do it. Uh, I would tell those people to mind their own business, but uh, <laughs> that's that, that would be their opinion. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, look, uh, like I said, I made I wanted to be really uh, clear that if I got a sex worker to agree to come on the podcast, that I did my research and due diligence as well to make sure that they are a career sex worker and they were smart and knowledgeable within the industry so that I had someone that was representing the industry in a really uh, correct light so uh, so that they knew, uh, yeah, so that the folks out there could get an actual real idea of what the industry is like.
0: Yeah. You just shined a light on something really important too, is, is just as a writer, having this much connection to this v- much of a variety of people, is really what keeps the ball going for Bearnet's productions, I think, is this well, ability to connect with uh, this many people.
1: Well, if, if I can tell you something that, that's actually very real um, and very personal, uh, so when you have a disability in Australia, Australia is not a good country to have a disability in. There's Discrimination happens every day in my life in a number of different areas. It's not a good country to have a disability it's very backwards now because of that obviously as a young man I'm talking you know between the ages you know growing up as as a as a child and then going through puberty and then going through uh, adolescence and, and into my early 20s and whatnot you know you don't have the same opportunity so you are sort of looking for where you fit as all young people are doing they're all looking you know and then Some people go, oh, I'm into gaming, so I will go and hang out with the people who are into gaming or I'm into sports, so I'll go and hang out with the people who are into sports. That's my group. I know that group and that's the only group I know and so that's the only knowledge I have. But for me, because it was very difficult uh, to find, I I never was able to really find a group, so I tried every group. So I, I hung out with the nerds. And I was like, that's not really for me. And then I hung out with the sporty people and that's not really for me. It's it's like they're not accepting me because of my disability and I'm not really feeling comfortable in this. But I have had experience with those people. And then, you know, I travelled overseas. And so I, I was able to experience where, you know, obviously overseas uh, through Europe and the UK and Canada and America, They're far more accepting of people with disabilities. So then I was welcomed into, again, different little groups. And again, with my work, doing stand-up comedy, touring around, you know, I I saw different cultures and I experienced different things. And to go to your original point, you are absolutely spot on. That has helped me tremendously with my writings because if I need to come up with a character, so if I'm thinking like, okay, I need a really superficial kind of female shallow character okay well who have i met in my life who i've experienced like this oh i remember back when i was 18 and i was you know trying to fit in with the the cool kids for example there were a bunch of girls that i remember so i'll <laughs> feedback on their personalities and you know it's the same thing with a, a range of different uh you know uh not so much genres but types of people and personalities it's because because of my disability and not being able to sort of find, I was like a a square peg, not being able to find a round hole. And so I've then tried everything to try and find, you know, where I belonged and where I fit. And uh, the final conclusion that I came to uh, was that I really, I don't really fit anywhere. I just sort of do my own thing in my own way. I just, I've got a range of different interests that I enjoy and that I like. And uh, yeah, I just uh, sort of, roll around and do my own thing i don't really fit into any sort of particular uh type of person or personality or something i just sort of yeah i just uh, i don't really fit in anywhere so i just do my own thing in my own kind of way and that's where again like you said originally that's where my writing i think has been able to it's helped it in a lot of ways because i understand things that people who have just been exposed to one type of lifestyle wouldn't really understand if any of that makes sense
0: it makes a lot of sense and and i appreciate about it what i what i appreciate about it too goff is like a lot of people spend the majority of their life trying to find where they fit in but not fully accept themselves so it's awesome to hear you saying you know what i didn't fit in anywhere so i'm just gonna do what i do
1: that's it as as the kids would say chris just you do you boo Apparently that's what kids say now.
0: I don't know where they're saying that, but it sounds horrible.
1: (laughs) Oh, they do. Trust me. I've heard it. I've heard it and I find it humorous and I say it now and people look at me and then think I need to be, (laughs) you know, shipped away to some kind of an asylum because I think it's, it's just you do you boo. Okay. But that's, uh, that's, that's what I do, man. I just, I just do my own thing. It's like I've told you in the past as well with Beanuts Productions, you know. I do everything I do is very very different. I do nothing conventional at all. And so, you know, I have the the thing in my head is that, you know, I'm going to play football in this park and if you want to come and join me, then that would be great. But if you don't, then that's fine too. But I'm going to just play football in this park by myself over here and everybody's welcome, but I'm I'm not going to participate in your game over there because I don't like your game. I just like the way I play football over here, so come and join me. I'd love it if you did, but if you don't, then that's cool too. You know what I mean? So that's kind of how how I see my work, and that's sort of that's sort of me in a nutshell, really. You know, I just uh, I just sort of wander around doing my own thing and uh, hope for the best.
0: Yeah, and what would Donna say about that?
1: Uh, I, well, actually, it's funny you should mention that. So I was having a conversation with her uh, some years ago, not about myself, just generally speaking. And she said to me, uh, people are surprised sometimes, Gough, at the advice I give. And I was like, well, give me an example. She said, well, if I have someone coming in who's drinking too much and hitting their wife or they're depressed and they want to kill themselves, and I say, to them, well, what's making you act that way? And they say, oh, I don't like my job. Well, I turn around to them and I say, well, quit your job. Stop, Stop doing the thing that is making you behave badly. So if you don't like your job, quit your job oh yeah, but that means I won't have a job, I'll be unemployed. Yeah, but you'll be happier because you won't be beating your wife and drinking too much and wanting to kill yourself. So quit your job and do something that you enjoy doing. Stop being a dickhead and do good things. You know, I mean, it's, and it's just, it's common sense advice, but she's like, people are surprised. Why, why are you telling me to quit my job? That seems like ludicrous advice for a psychologist to give but Mm -hmm. she said it's but it's the truth man i you can't you can't argue with her i mean it's it's common as we would say in australia it's common bloody sense so you know it's yeah, the the world the world is lacking in common sense
0: yes so much common sense is gone from our societies
1: (laughs) it's very true but yeah no it's it's uh uh, but it's funny actually Donna will always sent me a film review whenever she watches any of my films and they used to always end with, when am I going to get a nice romance? Uh, <laughs> so uh, now that she's had her romance film, I'll be curious to see what kind of, uh, what kind of a, either request or criticisms I get now. But she, she actually quite liked the kidnapping. She said it made her smile and she, uh, she enjoyed it very much. So I was, uh, I was pleased that she liked it because after all, Uh, she was the inspiration behind it by telling me to write a romance film. So yes.
0: Well, Gough, what's next?
1: Well, there's lots of things next, but as per usual, I'm not going to tell you because every time I've done that in the past, it's always gone pear-shaped. You seem to be some kind of a bad luck charm. So uh, (laughs) that's what Christine, your lovely wife, keeps telling me. She sends me emails all the time. (laughs) But uh, I'm only teased. I'm only joking, obviously. But uh, no, look, there is lots coming. I'm hoping to, with a bit of luck, I might be able to uh, uh, pump out another film before the year's uh, done, and uh, there might be one or two other little bits and pieces pop up. And of course, the Beanuts Productions podcast. Like I said, we got Melissa's interview coming up. If people want to listen to Hannah, the sex worker, they can listen to her interview uh, that was released a few weeks back now. So they can listen to her interview and everything else, and it's, that's all over the. Uh, obviously all over your, your podcast providers. And of course, but everything's on beanutsproductions.com anyway. There's a podcast page where you can listen to them all directly off the, the website. And of course, all the films, this is our 26 films. So all 26 films are up there, our audio downloads. So we've got like a different section where we've done like comedy audio sketches and they're all there. There's 15 of them. And of course, the uh, the couple of books that I wrote many years ago are up there as well. So yeah, there's, uh, there's still plenty on Beanuts Productions to keep you suitably entertained while you wait for the next monstrosity.
0: <laughs> I like how you called that suitably entertained. That's excellent. <laughs> um,
1: well, you know, we, we, we don't want to talk ourselves up too much.
0: Oh, of course not. You would never want to do that.
1: No, no. So, that's, 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 that's why my slogan on the, the video that I did with the uh, the fart joke video where the tent explodes, yeah. that's why I come there and I say the home of the world's greatest entertainment.
0: <laughs> I love that fart joke. That's such a great one. <laughs> well, what movies are you looking forward to seeing this this time around
1: uh, in the cinema?
0: Let's mm-hmm. see. Well, actually, I uh, the uh, the
1: Elvis film that was released. Did you uh, did you watch the Elvis film? What I, I have not your- no. You have not. Do you have any interest in watching it?
0: Mm, not really. No.
1: Is that because you don't like Elvis, or you don't like Baz Luhrmann, or you don't like? Uh, music, I like Baz Luhrmann.
0: Um, His movies are excellent, but I, I just, I, I don't know. Elvis, was no interest in the that, subject. But yeah, was yeah, it Elvis the subject wasn't that interesting for me?
1: Fair enough. No, no, no. That's cool. There's, there's a lot of actors actually that are in my film because that was filmed here on the Gold Coast where I live. And so a lot of the actors that work for me were in that film. Oh, cool. So like, for example, both Kale and Courtney that were in The Kidnapping were both in the Elvis movie. Um, and uh, yeah, a lot of the actors I worked with were in there. So I watched that uh, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought it was very well done. I'm not a Baz Lerman fan, so I come at it at a different angle. I went in there to support the actors uh, that I work with, mm-hmm. uh, not planning on enjoying the film. I went in there very grumpy. And like, oh, I don't like Baz Luhrmann; he's a giant knob. But then uh, I I watched the film, and again, I'm a very honest person, and I'm happy to say that I five out of five. Man, I thoroughly enjoyed every second of it. Thought it was amazing, so nice. I really enjoyed that. I saw recently there is a new Emma Thompson. Speaking of sex workers, there's a new Emma Thompson film that's out this week. Uh, or oh, the title of it is, you're going to have to IMDB it and uh, and stick it in the show notes so people know. Uh, it was Emma Thompson. It's about a sex worker. It's out this week. Uh, Leo Grand, uh, the something, 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 Leo Grand, because uh, I'm assuming that's the name of the sex worker that she hires. But uh, the trailer looks fantastic. Mm. Uh, and I like Emma Thompson too as an actress. I think she's very, very good. So um, yes, I will absolutely be Watching that. Is there anything else that uh, has a, has been a bit crappy in the cinemas of late because it's been a lot of uh, commercial films mm. that aren't really my cup of tea have come out of recent times. So I haven't actually. Plus, I've been actually I've been super super busy because the kidnapping took up a lot of time uh, in different areas. Mm. Uh, because while I didn't have a lot to organise with props and I didn't have a lot to organise with locations and but there was so much rehearsing involved. It actually took up uh, uh, probably more time than the others did, ironically, even though it seems like a smaller film that probably took up a touch more time. So I just haven't had time to get to the cinema either. There was another film that I saw recently that I quite enjoyed. Ah, oh, that's right. Uh, another really wonderful English film that I saw called uh, The Phantom of the Open, which, uh, which was about... It's a true story about an English guy who uh, went into the British Open, Golf Open, but he wasn't a golfer. But his theory was, well, it's the Open, so it should be open to everybody to play. But it's (laughs) fair to to say that uh, the organisers did not agree with his theory. And uh, this is back in the 1970s. And he became so infamous and famous uh, because he would keep registering every year under a fake name uh, so he could keep getting in. And uh, bec- that they actually, somewhere in America, it might be Minneapolis. I reckon that's wrong now that I've said it. But it's somewhere in America, they hold a tournament in his honour every year. And they actually flew him out one year to be like the guest speaker and the guest that's at the awesome. tournament. And it's, it's a really lovely film. It's one of those, the English do it very well. When it comes to feel-good comedy, biopic kind of a situation, the English do it better than anybody, I reckon, because they don't, they don't go with all the bells and whistles, and it's not a million-dollar budget. It's very simply made, but it's very sweet. It's very funny. It's a true story, because it's one of those things where if you didn't know it was a true story, you would go, there is no way <laughs> that's happened ever, but yeah if you can somehow get your hands on the Phantom of the Open, I think you would enjoy it very much, Chris. It's a very fine film.
0: Nice. Well, Goff, as always, it is a pleasure talking with you. Thank you for helping me have a suitably entertained evening. (laughs) And uh, I just appreciate the work that you do and how you continually teach me how to be creative.
1: Oh, well, (laughs) thank thank you, Chris. That's very kind of you to say. You're... uh, uh, i i i will be invoicing you momentarily Perfect. but uh, no uh, no uh, again thank you very much for having me on the show i genuinely do appreciate your support having me on all of these many many times and hopefully people like you that are listening to the podcast head on over to the beanuts productions website and they enjoyed the work that i'm uh, pumping out so yeah so thank you very much
0: I was kind of surprised when Goff and I were talking about the Bear Nuts Productions Museum and how he talked about memorabilia and how he was pretty much keeping a lot of the props that he had developed for his films. And it got me thinking, like, if we were to make a museum of our own creative pursuits, would you have the memorabilia to be in that museum? Like, how would you approach that with the work that you're doing today, that you've done in the past? Not not as a way to celebrate the past, but to really look at the entire body of work that you've developed and created over the course of your lifetime. So I guess the question that I would have for you as we end this episode, how are you developing the museum of your work? Is that even possible? How would you approach it? Maybe spend some time thinking about that because I know I am. Until next time, may creativity and curiosity Feel your life.